Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey, and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had, and I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design Still my favourite is the built structure and interiors. In years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast, and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Andrew Purdy. Now, Andrew is a household name in Australia. Uh, For those of you who are overseas, you can do a bit of a web search and he will come up. Trust me, he will come up. Um, He has a company called Bennett Williams. And we'll get into what Bennett Williams does along the journey of this podcast. And he's also a host on Channel 9 Network, um, Australia's Best Home. And he has some really, really deep driving passions. And we want to really talk about those as well. So, Andrew, welcome to Talk Design. Wonderful to have you here. And thank you so much for making the time. Adrian, both an honour and a privilege to be on, mate. Thank you for having me. Now, it's always a little nerve wracking interviewing a podcast host as well so they know the, <laughs> they know the drum 
They know the drum. You better um, be on your A game today, mate. <laughs> it. I'm, I'm lifting my chair a little. <laughs> um, so you can also, we'll talk about this a bit later on, you can also find Andrew with his podcast, and it's a really great subject. But let's wind back to what are you doing here, man? Like, what's, um, what's your background? How did you get here? How did you create the business and the life that you've created? Um, what was the vision and where did you come from? Yeah, crazy, crazy journey. Um, the vision's been formed as the journey's unfolded and and very much driven by um, my early days. So I'm not going to bore your podcast listeners with my <laughs> life story, but grew up in on the morning Peninsula, low-income family, single mum, high school dropout, went back to Frankston TAFE and did Year 12, um, I'd seen my mother's incredible work ethic, um, yet I couldn't turn that into self-discipline. So like I said, I was a hopeless student. I was naughty. But I guess I'd left school with knowing or having seen what my mum had done to bring us up as a family. And I, I knew that I knew the key, but well, this was by year 12, I knew yeah. the key to my success was always going to be hard work. Um, because it certainly wasn't going to be intellect and it wasn't going to be further education. Or inheritance. <laughs> or inheritance. <laughs> yeah. So so I I sort of, you know, I, I mean, I sort of just bummed along for a while in, in dead-end jobs, working in pubs, doing security. I was a bouncer in Frankston for a couple of years. Um, I was starting an apprenticeship and, and I actually finished my apprenticeship. But I, I guess that sort of, those couple of years between finishing school and when I knuckled down and decided to, to head on a, you know, a serious career path, yep. I guess that really hit home to me and compounded the fact that I realised that if I was going to make something in life, um, I was going to have to work hard. So I, I finished my apprenticeship. And luckily for me, I, I did my apprenticeship with a good mate of mine who sadly passed away now, but um, incredibly hard worker, a very, very hard worker. And and I did my apprenticeship and I came out of it with not only of this vision that I, I knew that I had to work hard, but also I, I had work ethic, work ethic and discipline instilled in me by, by my boss. So I came out of there and I sort of got it. 80%, but I still didn't really get it. Like, I was still pretty <laughs> silly. Um, I, I didn't want to do my trade. I don't, and I think a lot of tradies are the same. You finish your apprenticeship. Your apprenticeship is, is a bit of a grind. You've mm. done trade school. You've, you've, spent, you've swept plenty of floors. You've, you've done all the jobs that are probably not the most you know, glorious jobs off of killing if there's a, works like. I was about to say, if there's a hole to crawl in, you're crawling in it. If there's um, some crap to pick up, you're picking it up. Yeah. And the yep. fact that I was doing an apprenticeship for a mate cut me no slack at all. Yeah. <laughs> probably worse. Um, had an opportunity through a school friend of mine's dad to get into real estate. Yep. Um, and... And I guess for me, really, where the, the journey began, I got into real estate, real estate back then. I mean, as you know, the last, like when I say the last 25 years, I mean, the last 25 years of data this is, you know, I mean, I was in real, I wasn't in real estate 25 years ago, I was in real estate 20 something years ago, but um, 20 years ago, but it's been very cyclical. And I got into real estate and it was a pretty good time in the market. And I enjoyed my time in real estate. 
but I, I started coming across these property developers in real estate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, these people are making serious money. And yeah, because so. I was a tradie, um, you know, potentially, and not that it makes them any better or any worse of a real estate agent than me, but some people are sort of really analytics of data and other people are, you know, really hands-on and other people are, uh, build a career in real estate out of being a people's person, relationship yeah. building. Me coming from a trade background, I said, to a degree I got it. And I thought, you know what, I reckon I could have a go at it, but I had no money at all. No money at all. That's because they don't and, pay you enough and, as an apprentice to have any money. <laughs> yeah. So I'm in real estate. I've sort of half jerried about, you know, people making money and what I had to do. And then I had a child at a young, so I had my daughter, Madison, my beautiful daughter now, who's who will be turning 17. Yep, nice. Um, and... And I just realised, mate, like this is where it all sort of I, I realised now, um, I realised then I had to work hard to be successful. I wasn't going to do that in real estate. And it was then when I went back to my trade and had a red hot crack at it. And that was probably where, you know, my first light bulb moment of being in business and what I needed to do took place. And I built this, it was a plum, plumbing electrical company. I, I employed a plumber that ran that side of the business. We grew this business and it ended up being an incredible, you know, when I mean incredible, it ended up being a massive business. Yeah, right. Um, and and during the course of growing that business, I, I fell back on what I'd learned in real estate about property development and started um, started building a couple of townhouses and and doing a couple of renovations and then I employed a guy into the business and that's all he did. He was a carpenter and he used to do renos for me. And I sort of kept this journey going and 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 it ended up selling off part of that business. And, and obviously I couldn't continue to do that anymore. I had non-compete things. Yeah, right, right. So that, that wrapped it up for you. Can I go back to a point there though? You said you you set up this company and then you grew it like, and you grew it really big. Yeah. You had a partner in it. How did you know that you could grow it? Was one like what? What made you think that you had the ability, or how far in? I, I interviewed Samantha Wills, who fabulous. You know, she said she got so deep into her business that she owed eighty thousand dollars or something and had no way of paying it, but to keep working. And you know, turned it into a jewelry empire um, with help. She went and got help. But you know, just really interesting. Like people take off on the journey of business regularly, and yeah. we know the stats. Like you know, one in five is likely to. Well, one in five if they succeed, that's that's good. You know, yeah. it's lower than that. And somewhere, obviously, you know, hard work, but you backed yourself, and you saw that your skill set matched something that somebody else or, or that other people needed and being in a trade that's usually fairly transparent but there's a big difference between picking up a hammer or a spanner or a you know screwdriver or whatever it is that your trade yeah. is and actually running a business and taking yeah, good, responsibility good question mine came my my knowledge or my my in an my inner piece in the fact that i could do this was that when i was in real estate i could see that the greatest challenge in a property management department 
was getting a lot of tradesmen to carry out maintenance. Right. And because I'd been in real estate, I'd built this network around me of all of these real estate agents that I knew. So I effectively went and created the solution and then yep. went and plugged it straight into the problem. So I was nice. like, guys, I used to go into a meeting and pitch for it and say, I've got a plumbing electrical maintenance company, but these are your problems. Like you're busy dealing with the rich. You can't get landlords to pay invoices. You've got this problem. I could talk to them about what... Um, technology because you knew it firsthand. I knew it. So then all of a sudden they're like, this guy is not only a plumber or electrician coming in here trying to win for our business, but he actually gets our business, yeah. knows what our problems are, and he's tailored his business to, to, to fix our problems. So, so you wipe became, the floor with everybody else pretty quick mate, because they're just a tradie turning up. It became an unhealthy addiction. Like my, I, I, I went from... <laughs> I went from sort of being 23, 24 um, to wanting to take over the world. So when I mean wanting to take over the world, I'm like the average average maintenance business in in Melbourne, and I'm guessing now because there'd be big businesses, there'd be small businesses. They might get 20 jobs, 30 jobs, 40 jobs a day when they're really busy. I just seen ramped up to, you know, in the hundreds of jobs a day. Oh, genius. It was just, and then it became my, became my mission to get more and more and more. And it was never out of greed. It was no, no, no. It was that was out of competition. Yeah, just to do it. And I found that it was a light bulb. I'd found what I was going to do. Yeah. To not have another generation of um, struggle that I'd seen with my parents, and that was a bit I always knew that I didn't want, but I just didn't know how to do it. But then when I had all aspects plumbing electrics. Yeah, I'm like, bang. And then, you know, I used to sit at night. Cause I, I'm not good at technology I'm, and I'm a control freak. So I used to sit at <laughs> night and handwrite all the invoices. Oh, I love it. Love right? it. And then the next day I'd get the admin girl to tighten up that I'd written and priced them up. And I would see how much money I was making in job, uh, job. I'm like, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to go out and get another real estate office. And then another real estate office. So then get more tradies. Get more. There's a key point in there that I love, which is, you know, sure you hand wrote the invoices, but I bet you you were. Um, I'm guessing you can tell me whether I'm betting right. You ran the totals in your head as well. You're going. 100%. I've invoiced. I've invoiced a hundred grand here, and you'd be 100%. like celebrating and ringing the bell. Yeah. Because it was so real to you. Whereas if you filed a piece of paper across to somebody else to do that and all the rest, and you got a report through, it wouldn't have anywhere near the sticky stickiness that drives you to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. It's like paying all your bills, you know, like paying. If you're the person who pays all the bills, you're really conscious of what goes out. Yeah. And, and you make decisions about what will go out next time when you didn't feel you got your value, you know, and too often it gets abdicated. Um as and, for a certain personality type. So my personality type, and it hasn't changed in property. So my personality type is that I always want to more. And one thing, agent, I've got to clarify with you. I like I've got many faults in my um, genetic makeup, but greed's not one of them. I'm not a greedy person. If I I, I want two dollars, but I'm happy to give one to my mate. Yeah. Like, but then I want four dollars, but I'm happy to give you know a couple of bucks. I like. Yeah. So I had this dry, in, incredible, burning desire for success, but not through greed. Yeah. It was to, it was to change the way that 
I was going to bring my, my daughter up. And it was going to be the way that, that I was going to not let this generation be, or my family, this generation, my family, not be like, last, like I said, my mum was the hardest worker, and God bless her. She's now a lawyer, and um, she ended up finding success in her own life. And, and awesome. She's an incredible woman. But, awesome. Yeah, that, that was so sold out of my family electric company, uneducated, had nothing else I could do. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have to go back to real estate because it's the only other thing that I know. So here I was back in real estate again, hating it. And, and I sat there and I thought, and I thought, and I, like, I was still young, you know, and I sat there and I thought, what am I, what am I actually going to do? Because I, I can't do real estate. So I went to my business partner at the time and said, mate, you run the real estate office and um, I'm going to go and run a property development and we'll work out a deal in the middle. Um, somewhere somewhere down the track and that's what I did and I just literally went from building two townhouses a year to four townhouses a year to 150 townhouses a year wow. to the company that we have now where I think we've got I don't know about 800 million dollars of development in our pipeline with a with a scope for a three billion dollar pipeline within five years so wow um and and that is that is fact how I arrived here. So funny story, but yeah, yeah no, I, it was um, it was just the grind, the grind, mate. I I love it. I think it's um, there's a lot of insight in that story. You know, like a, you know, looking for the well, and and taking on real estate, you found the company that you had or that you created because you saw the problem that could be solved. And so you didn't go out there and go, oh, well, I'd like to start up a maintenance business or any of that um, off the back of your trade. You actually went and found another industry and solved their problem. And any salesman will tell you, find a person in need and then sell them what they need. Correct. So beautiful little like following through there of uh, that's what makes things happen. And that's why you had surety, because then you weren't wondering whether it would work. You worked out it, it's what's needed. Hell, if yeah. it doesn't work then you've really missed the boat. You know, you, you, you're so far off base, um, but you couldn't be because you're a people person. You can see the tension and the stress and you go, well, I'll plug that in. But I love yeah. the story about writing your, your invoices because you never lost connection with what you were doing in that story. And too often people lose connection with what they were doing. The plumbing and, you know, electrical isn't what's driving you. It's serving somebody and, and being driven to keep serving them. You know, keep serving more and more, the more people you can help. And sure, you make your money along the way, but you're, 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 it's, it's not about trying to take anybody. It's about actually trying to give to people. Um, I've never, one thing I've never, which is going to contradict what I said, because, but in a way, it, it has always been about the money in a way. But yeah, yet, how and why I've run my business has never been about money. Like, in, Especially in property now, there's there's so many paths I could have taken that would oh. have made me more money than I've made. Yep. But like I've always had this ethical um, vision or, or, or side to the business that, that I've that I've seen sectors of the market that are really struggling, and that's again I guess the story before was the how, but the why is so different, you know. Yes. To, to yeah. what our journey is, to what our journey is now in in the property company. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get into that big why in a minute. Um, tell me um, 
some of your design sort of space inspirations when I when I talk about um, you're in the housing market so and as a developer and that means that you're actually putting people's lives inside or parts of their lives um, and their security inside a place that you've been a, um, a party to yeah. and tell me about that kind of journey of what makes it better to be in one of your places than somebody else's what's the what's the process and what inspires you with that um, three three sides to my business one is um the construction the, the luxury development so luxury yep. houses that i build um along with with my building company um and and the building company was set up to to fix uh, or fill a hole in the fact that I had a desire to start doing some things that filled my filled my cup on a professional level. Because uh-huh. so long I've been developing the, to to finish multifaceted. One is that yeah yeah I've got this sort of luxury arm to my business, and and that's what I do for my enjoyment. I love going out on site. Um, I love delivering. I love delivering in a way where the marketplace can be pushed to its limits with both quality and price expectation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and see how you go. And that's that's something where exactly like you said about doing podcasts earlier, you surround yourself with the best people in the industry um, because. I'm not sure for you, but I know for me, when it comes to the property space, I've got so much to learn. Like I'm learning every day. Um, And to be able to surround myself, I just found that doing luxury homes was a way that I could surround myself with some of the best people in the industry and learn because I I sort of had this headspace, this feeling within me that the other half of my business, which is just a flat-out straight development side, um, it's so non-emotional. It's it was not it wasn't inspiring me on a on a delivery level anymore. Um, right. I was building townhouses and going out to site every couple of weeks because I wasn't the builder. I was engaging yes. a volume builder. I was engaging consultants to do the design. I was totally removed from the process. Um, when I first started building townhouses, I, I had a I had a very clear vision that the two greatest issues we had in the country were affordability in retirement and affordability in first-time buyers. Um, I wasn't at the point in my career back then I could build a retirement village, but I was at the point in my career where I realised that rather than buying townhouse sites and delivering townhouses to investors and to second and third home buyers, I could deliver townhouses and put together education seminars with some pretty we in fact super cool people back then um, that I teamed up with and we did we did we basically went on tour and, and did these seminars for first home buyers on how to buy your first home and, and in line with that I then delivered the product so that we could not only preach it but we could enable them to do it. So I was building yeah, these townhouses in places like Officer, like Cranbourne, like you know, Southeast Growth Corridor, yep. which is a wonderful, wonderful place. It, it, it creates great opportunity for people to get into the, to the market. And, again, like I said, mate, we, we, we now have the greatest affordability issue we've ever had. And the ability mm. for first-time buyers to get into the marketplace has never been 
is never been more challenging than now. Um, well, especially in the last, well, the COVID, the COVID time, definitely. Um, yeah. And right now, with spiraling costs and uncertain delivery and material shortages and all those kinds of things, you know, I look at my 19-year-old daughter and go, so how do we spring her into the housing market? Um, and it, it, it's going to be a jump no matter what, um, but we still have that desire and dream. Yeah, you know, I suppose well, I'm a Kiwi, but no different from being an Aussie when it comes to this Um you know, your, your own quarter acre block kind of thing, your own spot, whether it be, you know, in a townhouse or whether it be in an apartment or whatever, but owning something has a yeah. huge importance in our cultural psyche, um, more so than a lot of other countries where renting you know, or systemic sort of rental market um, families where we don't have that. Um, we don't have that as our deep culture. And so as all parents, we're looking to how can we get those kids to that point? You know, how can we, how can we make sure that they yeah. you know, get on the journey early enough? Um, yeah, and I think, I think if we don't, I mean, there's some, not probably the topic for this podcast today, there's some fundamental problems out there at the moment that is creating a huge lack of supply in, in land delivery. Mm. But at the moment, before about a want and a desire or a desire and a dream. And and the scary thing is, is at the moment that desire and that dream is becoming further and further away from reality in terms yeah. of being able to execute. Like there's so many people now, these first-time buyers that used to be able to afford Cranbourne, used to be able to afford Nary Warren, very officer. You know, like we're seeing urban sprawl now. Um, and unaffordability issues out as far as Morwell, Mowie, Tarragon, Sale. That, you know, and, and it's just not practical for young people to be able to move that far out and, and commute to work. So, they oh, need to re- yeah, exactly. The, the infrastructure and everything else wrapped around it isn't, you know, they could spend three hours on a train getting there, sort of thing. Or, you know, if they're driving a car, they can't afford to park it. They probably can't afford the petrol. There's just so many. So many issues that it brings up. I'd love to do a, we'll, we'll pass on it on this one, like you said, but let's do a <laughs> podcast on that because it is a burning problem globally in the first world countries um, yeah. that this exists. And it's something, again, that um, is, is a problem to be solved. And I don't know, there's no easy answer. So it, it's always good to get your know, heads around the table on these kinds of things where, you know, one sparks a thought to the next part. It makes a yeah. difference to how life goes on. Mm. Yeah. 25 years, age, in the last 25 years, yep. we've averaged 412% capital growth. Wow. We have had, not average, we have had. Melbourne's, uh, Melbourne's averaging like 8.1% a year. But, you know, like this is crazy, crazy market times we're seeing now unprecedented um unprecedented market conditions it's, if it keeps going um if it's extrapolated if it's extrapolated for the next 25 years how it's been the last 25 years melbourne's median house price will be 5.824 million dollars wow 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 well it's got it it's got a well it's either got to go there um and and that is what the landscape is but everything's got to follow it, you know, like, yeah, and, right. and you look at currently, you know, interest rates have just risen and 
there's these kind of things like this that uh you know to slow down inflation in the economy um or to to cap off just runaway growth um and the question is is do those things still work anymore or, yeah. or will they work will they work how will they work um there's so much that with the speed that everything's changing at that uh we don't have it's almost a beast on its own <laughs> you know it's it's where do you fit on the back of it how do you fit on the back of the beast because it's running and uh, yeah. how do you hold on and how do you make the most out of holding on um so it's an interesting time in the world that's for sure and i you've got a 17 year old i've got a 19 year old and 12 year old and i go wow we are delivering them something that I don't think it's broken. I just think that it's in a, in a big transition phase and, you know, they are going to step into something, but then there's a lot of people who are conscious of about how do they help them step in as better, maybe emotionally adjusted human beings, as well as, um, you know, any other help that they can be receiving. I think could... You mentioned the word emotionally adjusted. <laughs> Did you say you had three kids? Two, just two. two. Otherwise, how, I'd be. How, made, how are you ever emotionally adjusted with kids? <laughs> if I work I've, it out, we'll bottle I've, it and you can sell it. <laughs> I've got two stepkids and two kids. I've got four in my oh. family. Mate, it's like the Brady Bunch at my house. But I'm definitely <laughs> not emotionally adjusted because of it. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I'm being trained by my kids on a daily basis. And I think my wife just referees it. <laughs> yeah. my, my kids often ask what you know what are we going to do dad when we finish school and i mean i shouldn't give them this answer but i first thing i say is not real estate i know that um and then uh, you know something that makes you happy but um, my first answer is not real estate you know so that's a, a long answer to your question but building the, build, the luxury the luxury house space it was a selfish thing that's the truth I, i've been building townhouses for so long and then doing land subdivision so long to fulfill this um you know requirement that i had within myself where i felt that i needed to address the sector of the market that yeah that needed it most and then i'm like you know what time to do something for me so I, I built these luxury homes um and again like i said everything sort of has happened for reasons with third parties private finance part and that came to play because when i set up this building company and as a developer, when I was looking at development sites, I was given so many opportunities mm. um, to quote for building jobs and then at the end of it, finding out that they couldn't get their finance because they were just short or getting development sites and they look like fantastic opportunities. And I'd say, well, why are they on the market? Why are they being sold? Or the developer can't get their finance. Yeah, right. I realised that if I was the building company, or if I was coming in as a joint venture partner and I was in control of delivering the project, I could then lend my money responsibly and knowing safely. That I was going to ultimately deliver the project. So that's that's how that came about. So that's nice. I like that. It's yeah, um, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's it's table it's a farm to plate you know kind of mentality. It's like oh, yeah, nose to tail. It's like okay, well, how do I see this through so that it happens and. Um, you know, to a large degree, take the responsibility of it because, you know, as you say, too often, how many times, well, I've seen plenty of times when you see a development and somebody spends a fortune on on getting everything underway, but then it won't roll at the end. 
And yeah. every consultant and everybody else down the journey's made their money. And the guy with the vision is sitting at the end of the table going, well, it's never going to fly. It's not going to happen. And uh, But everybody else got paid and they're sitting there with the vision. And, yeah. yeah it the, nicest, the nicest part, I would say, now of where I've arrived at, and, and I love what you said before. It really resonated with me. That was it. Last year, you saw the most people. I think the best bit of part where, about where my journey is now is that, that we've been able to model our business on exactly what we want to do. And that is like I've slowed right down now on the luxury hunt and we're pumping out volume land in the growth corridor targeted at first-time buyers and we're building retirement villages while we're building lifestyle communities, yep. so affordable, affordable housing options in retirement. And, and as of that, the moment, Process to become um, an accredited social housing provider. So we'll move now into nice. social housing on a large scale. So, social housing, um, first home buyers and lifestyle. So there you go. Yeah, That's, cool. Uh, That's beautiful. And, and a need, a need that needs to be fulfilled. Again, you <laughs> go and find the market and find the product and put the product in the market. It's, a, it's the same formula. You know, there's, a, there's something going on here. Um, I'm really enjoying that part of the journey. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It would be very fulfilling. I've got a, it's kind of a sidebar on that. Have you ever looked into um, the 3D print market with affordable housing? No. No, okay, yeah. I've I've, I've got an interest in, I'm trying to find uh, in my journey of um, the 3D print journey, where it, where it's going to land, and it will land. It's just where, and does it really yeah. save money, and you know all that kind of stuff. So it's one of those cogs that I have going around. And when you say affordable housing, and you say those things, that's the space that it seems to be being used mostly in on overseas. Um, but I'm also seeing now starting to move into the luxury home market. And uh, it, again, it's another cog in this wheel that I go, okay, um, where's it? I, I think it will land in the affordable housing market, um, undoubtedly, because it's already starting to take up some of that space. But how it develops, and like most things develop, is, is um, the example would be Tesla. You know, he built, he built the sports model first, and that was the dream model. And then he worked out from that, how he could put as much technology in it as he possibly could and everything else. And then how do you make a car like the model down, you know, the models down lower that everybody can afford to buy or not everybody, but a lot of people can afford to buy more mass market. Um, and I look at that 3D printing thing and I go, it's being built from kind of the opposite way from the ground up as opposed from the luxury market down. Um, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, we'll come back to it sometime. If you, get, if you get your head around it, I'd love to have a chat with you about it another time. I think at the yeah. moment our greatest, our greatest struggle here in terms of our lifestyle communities is, is building affordable small homes. Um, we build them at the moment out of Dandenong, um, but with material shortages, supply shortages, you know, labour increase, labour shortages, all these massive struggles that our construction industry faces at the moment. It's a challenging space. Yeah. Building yeah. Any, building anything's a real challenge at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, not just that. I'll, I've got some I've got some stuff on that already. So I'll, I'll get in contact with you with some of that. There's, a, there's that. a conversation about that that could be really interesting, especially in Melbourne. Um 
So tell me about, um, look, there's a hundred things we could talk about, but I really do want to spend some time digging into the hidden philanthropist. And I know, like, if I was to say to you, so, you know, Andrew, tell me what you're going to do with the, the rest of your life. Um, what's a passion that's going to be burning or is burning and, you know, that fire's well and truly lit. I know that the hidden philanthropist is a, is a major part of that. And it's part of why you have your podcast um, and it's a vision that you have. I'd love to dig in. I'd love you to let it go and tell us what you yeah. can about it. Um, so my journey now is continuing to run my business whilst I run the Purdy Foundation. Um, and my biggest problem was, you know what my biggest problem? I think the most dangerous man is a man that doesn't recognize, well, doesn't know what you know, doesn't know what he doesn't know, or thinks he knows what he doesn't know. So yep. I wanted to set up this charity, but I'm like, I've got no idea how to do this, right. um, and and I didn't understand how it worked, and I and I thought that it just worked by giving money to people, but then I went on this charity of trying to find a charity to support, and anyway, I. I knew that I wanted to have a family charity. Now, philosophy was that moving forward, the proceeds or the profit out of a block of land or a townhouse in every one of our developments will go to charity. So we knew that we had the we knew we had the horsepower to be able to back the, my family charity financially. Um, yep. But we had absolutely no idea on on how to do it, on how to to get that money like, onto the ground, or the nuts and bolts and the yeah. mechanics of the thing, yeah. And I also realised, like I spoke about earlier, is that it's just not about money. I mean, there's so many people that donate intellect. There's so many people that donate services. They donate time. They donate. They don't all these things. And I realised that just because you got money doesn't mean you're necessarily going to help people. You need to learn find out where the help is really needed. Yep. Um, and anyway, I was watching the news one night and I'd had a couple of beers and and um, and there's a story on the on there's a story on the TV about one of them was about Father Bob Maguire and, yep. and this particular night was about Lindsay Fox landing his helicopter down on the beach in Sorrento, which I'm sure pisses a lot of people off. But I um, for me I thought, you know what, here's this guy that that's just landed his helicopter on the beach and, and he's the greatest crime ever been committed in Victoria. Probably not. Does it annoy his neighbours? Probably. <laughs> Probably he's, this guy, <laughs> he's this guy on the news. He's getting hung, drawn and quartered <laughs> for doing that. And then I'm thinking in my head, you poor bugger. It's like, do you know, <laughs> he has no ability to be able to ring up that news network the next day. He's got go, no, you know what? no voice of reply. I might have landed my helicopter on the beach yesterday, but have you got any idea that I donated $2 million to charity last year yep. or that I do this or that I've got a car museum where entry prices or I do this or I do that? And I'm like, every day now that someone kisses a celebrity or gets a divorce or yep. does something that's not even newsworthy, goes on the news, and, and there's all these incredible people doing incredible things. Mate, the old saying... Bad press gets printed in bold on the front page. Good <laughs> news gets printed in small, right on the back page. It's exactly. true. Exactly. Bad news sells, um, and and it is ironic, isn't it? Like, he's got the means to have a helicopter, and he's got the means to piss off his rich neighbours in his neighbourhood by landing it on the beach, <laughs> and he's got the means to give away millions of dollars, and he does. It could, absolutely, and he does. Choices. Yep, and he but does. It's like, 
who's going to push this bloke's agenda? Yep. And all these other people. Like, so a couple of beers and you said, I am. I said, I am. I said to my wife, we got in the car and we're driving down Balnaring Road. And I said, you know what? I'm going to create a podcast where I push people's agenda that do good. True story. I love it. So I came into work and I spoke to Mal, who does some of my PR stuff for my charity. I said, you know what, Mal? I'm going to do a podcast. And you know what? I told you at the start of this, I'm not good with technology. I'd never listened to a podcast before. I didn't know, but I knew the concept because I'd had people talk to me about, you know, have you listened to this podcast? Or like, and, and I'm like, what's this? Anyway, I was now on a mission that I was going to do a podcast. Love so I had that. to find out what a podcast was um, and, and how I was going to do it. But it's been an incredible, it's been an incredible journey. And I think for me, again, I always sort of think people always want to know what you're getting out of doing something mm-hmm. because people just don't think that you can do things for good. It's like, why are you doing a charity? Is there a tax benefit to it? And it's like, that is not, if I could list a reason of 100 things, if I list 100 reasons why I'm doing it. The tax, tax benefit, benefit is doesn't coming to the top 100. Yeah. Or look, what are you getting out of the hidden philanthropist? And I'm like, you know what I'm getting? Because there is a social, there's a selfish aspect to it. I'm getting to meet all these charities, mm-hmm. find out what they do, find out how they do it, find out which ones need help, and find out how I can plug into how they need help. And that's what my charity is going to do, the Purdy Foundation. It sounds awfully, awfully like a plumbing electrical business that fills a hole in the market. (laughs) It's it's the same strategy. I'm hearing it again. It's like I'll go out to the market, I'll find out who needs what and how it is, and I'll deliver them something that they need. I just know that they – I just know – I just know that they need. They need and they need what they need most is is something that everyone can give. Like I just yeah. I just don't believe I'm sure they are out there. Don't get me wrong. Well you know I just don't believe there's many people out there that couldn't give one hour a week. Yeah. One hour a week. Just to, they don't and if they've got a if they've got a fear of integrating with a particular demographic within society or they don't want to be going and dealing with the because it brings what but I need to. Like they could just come to, they could just come to Meals on Wheels and go and pick up some meals and drop them down. But I don't, I don't, in fairness to them, they don't know how to do it, and I that's think, what that's one thing we need to fix. I think that's a really but interesting well, point that the 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 fact that you say they don't know how to do it, they don't know how to step into the space without being swallowed by it. You know, like, oh, God, if I go and volunteer, next thing I'll have lost, ten, you know, th- three days of my week and or 10 hours or whatever. How do you, you know, like, how does, A, the organisation see the people that can come to them and use them for that piece and then put them back down, essentially, so they can go about their life, not swallow them? And the other is, is their fear of fitting into the system. You know, do they fit into yeah. the system? Um and, you know, I have this other thing. If you couldn't do one hour a week, could you pay for somebody else to do one hour a week who, who you know, who could yeah. go and do the hour a week? Could you pay for somebody else to do it? There's so many ways of looking at it. But like you say, what these all these charities need is they need help. They need they, – they don't just need money. They need help. They need people to, 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 to apply for um, their effort to it. Is it rude to ask 
the podcast cast host a question from me because no, I'm go for it, man. Question. Okay, go for it. So, do you think that out of all these people that are out there that need help, there's there's a whole other bunch of people within society that firstly would be willing to help, um, probably don't know how to do it. But if we could get them engaged in helping the other people that need help, that would fulfil their lives more as well and make them happier and integrate them over and get them into community spaces where they can meet new people, they can they can meet other volunteers helping, they can get the they can fill, you know, fill their emotional cup up by helping others. They don't need to be giving money. Um, and, and and it becomes a win-win. Like there's these people that are at home that have either my mum's age that have lost their partner, but they're, they're still more than capable of, or she's still capable of being a lawyer. I'm sure she can go down and, and hand out meals for an hour or whatever yeah. it might be. It's, I, you, could, you know, as an answer to the question. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah. I, it, I look at it and I go, as an answer to the question, the answer has got to be yes. And, you know, we, we touched on this before we recorded that taking, having vision and whether that's your own or somebody else's um, doesn't really matter. Um, when it touches you personally, uh, it becomes much easier, much clearer. But then taking an action that um, is a physical action often, and if not physical, at least, um, I would say physical more than strongly mental, but strongly mental and physical action without getting, you know, too woo-woo on the whole, you know, universe and stuff. I have this fabulous friend in LA and she calls it the Godiverse. Um, <laughs> it, so she doesn't upset either party. But at taking a physical action to help others or to um, even help yourself, but to help others in that journey, like you say, you know, with things, you know, it could be a selfish act. I, you set up the podcast because you went, hey, I can see that these people who've got a big voice already, they can be on the news for landing a helicopter, but how can I help them in the other way? How can I help them where their heart and soul's down here and they're not yelling about it and we don't need them to yell about what they do? How can I be a benefit in that marketplace? When you do that, it feeds you and it feeds them and it feeds the other people. I could go through this podcast journey and I know a lot of people, I've got a big network of people and I can talk to some really interesting people. And I went, one day I went, you know what? I'd like to talk to more interesting people. Um, I would like to elevate who I talk to, um, who I'm around, what I can learn. So that was all purely selfish. It had nothing to do with anybody else. And I went, okay, there's some ways to open a door. Um. Well, I could do a podcast because I enjoy that interaction with people. Yeah, okay. That would be a way. Or I could just, you know, ask them if they wanted to be interviewed on something, not even on a podcast, you know. I could get somebody to write it up or something like that. I could do all these different things. And I went, you know what, the, the simplest way was the podcast for me. And in doing that, I recognized that regardless whether I got fed off it, which I would, I would get fed human my human soul would be fed and my knowledge and my mind would be fed the next point would be that if I let that go out to everybody else there'd be some other people that would collide into it and they would be fed from it as well and they yeah. would gain something and 
when that happens, uh, you'd have experienced this, I'm sure, the first time somebody writes to you and says, I heard this and it changed my thinking to this and it's been a change. That was that's that was the never the the motivation that I set off with, but it's the byproduct of the thing that I did, and it inspires me to find better people to talk to all the time. Yeah. It inspires me to talk to people like you, where I go, I know nothing compared to what you know in business, and compared to what you know in the philanthropic space, and all the rest. I'm a I'm down here in this journey, and I go, wow it opens my mind and opens my eyes. Therefore I grow. Therefore, when I grow positively, the universe rewards me with more positive growth. Um, yeah. It doesn't reward me with, with negative growth. I have a thing. I have a bit of a scarcity mentality. Um, so I'm always like, Oh, you know, you, you probably had this as a young, you know, young child, you, you probably went, well, oh, there isn't a lot where we're making ends meet. Maybe sometimes not. So you, yeah. you, you backed yourself into business to, to make sure that your kids didn't end up with that same outcome and that you could develop a better life. I have that same thing. And I go, you know, every time I feel like, oh, God, should I, shouldn't I? I look for a charity that I can give $50 to. Um, whatever it is, not a lot of money. It's not like going, oh, well, I'll write you out a check for you know, half a million dollars or something. But it's, it's enough that it reminds me to be mindful of giving yeah. And I'm not giving to get back. I just go, you know what? It's not going to be my last $50. Yeah. So, but it might be somebody else's who doesn't have $50 that will change their life today, maybe for an hour, maybe for 10 minutes. Maybe it'll buy some school books, maybe it'll whatever. And so, yeah. that self fulfilling prof prophecy of giving and letting it go and supporting others. And if you can give, if you create, which I have no doubt you will, um, a thing so that people realize in which way they can give, yeah. how they can give. Like you said, you know, you, you wanted to start a podcast. You've got the people around you to go, okay, this is what you need to do, Andrew. Um, <laughs> <Thank God. laughs> you're going to need this. Exactly. But what you're doing is, is you create something that then goes, hey, this is how they can just give a bit. They can yeah. give an hour. And you know, I said to you about my daughter going in um, from her school, going and she met their first ever principal in a retirement home and she helped him set up some stuff with his email and his stuff like that. She came home 10 foot tall yeah, and so excited and enjoyed the process so immensely that she's looking for more opportunity. And when you... Two people, two people would have felt that that night. You know, your daughter who did all the helping, yep. and of course the elderly gentleman that received all the help. Pretty yep. cool, isn't it? But it's 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 what it's what makes you smile and it fills you up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what the influencers is about. At the end of the podcast, I always ask the person um, for anyone listening right now, how can they reach out? on a really simple level, not filling out 100 forms, not getting with a working with kids permit, not going to do 100 checks. It, the people that are listening right now, how can they just start to engage with your charity help? Is there an email? Is there a phone number? Um, is there a, an open? And, and that's what it's about. It's about you, you gave 50 
not everyone can give 50, but the people that can give 20 and the people that can give five and the people that can give an hour of their time. 100%. We've got to try and engage them into these causes so that we can, we can make the place a, a better place for, for all of us. Something I see that a, a lot is that um, people give, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, don't, don't get me wrong on that, but people give often money offshore because they see that it's a, it's a path here that you've, you know, we're already a wealthy country and da, 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 doesn't, your dollar doesn't go as far or whatever it is. Um, and so they will give money offshore, you know, possibly more readily because they don't feel that, um, well, I was going to say that, that, that people here aren't deserved of it. I don't think that's probably it. It's more they feel that this country and they pay their taxes and this one and all the rest and why isn't the government doing it? What's yeah. the answer around that? What's the... Um, I think it, it can be broken down to um, even even simpler line of thought than that. I think a lot of the big charities that help internationally push massive marketing agendas and they enable people that are at home that do have $5 or $10 yep. to be able to engage into the charity and give and and they get a, a sense of giving and a sense of helping and it's easy for them to do that i don't know that it's easy for them to engage with local charities because firstly they don't know who they are and secondly they don't know what they do whereas yeah. if tv on tv commercial on tv that says get on board and donate now and you can feed a kid for a dollar a day or, or five dollars a month or whatever it is yeah this is all you need to do you know, maybe if we had an ad on TV in Australia for a local charity that, and, and charity now looks, you know, it looks like a hundred different things. It's not just homeless uh, kids. It's not just a Red Cross or something like correct. that. Yep. And the there's so many, there's so many mums at home and, and families, mums and dads, there's so many families at home that are struggling to put food on the table that, mm. that, that can't afford school uniforms. That, that, mm -hmm. that My wife reaches out to these Charities that, that require school books and school bags and, and uniforms. And man, it's the people you would least, you know, mm. suspect. And the people that my wife sees within the community that also go to her charity for meals because they can't afford to put food on their table. You know, the problem is the days of it just being, you know, shitheads on the street and yep. bums and it's... It's it's a very different profile now. I know, like I was saying to you, my wife's um, a part of the Budrum Foundation and she's the chair of the grants committee on that. And she tells me the the, the places where the money goes. And, and she'll say to me, we'll be driving along, you know, probably going, you know, out somewhere or something and, you know, in a car full of gas and, you know, like all of us with a heater in it and all those kinds of things. And she'll say you know, we just managed to affect um, this change where all these people got $25. And, you know, we think of $25 as being chump change, small change. You know, it's, it, it, it wouldn't make a difference to us if we had the 25 in our pocket or not. Yeah. Um, but it makes the difference as to whether a kid gets fed sometimes at school or at home or um, has a pillow. Or and, and you kind of go. This is in. I live in an affluent community, right where I live. But this is not cheap street, you know. Yeah. Um, and she's. I'm saying, yeah, but whereabouts, hun? And she goes, 
in our town and right in our little community. Yeah. We're going, really? Who? And she's going, I'm not going to tell you who, but I'm working with this pastor or I'm working with this person um, to make sure yeah. that there's a conduit for money here. And then she'll tell me some story that I have me bawling my eyes out about really how can that be happening right here where we are? Um, yeah. and, and that's an affluent communities. You know, I mean, there's always a, a diversity of, you know, how people live, but I live on the Sunshine Coast and pretty much from top to bottom, um, it's not a poor community, you know. It's a, yeah. But there's people there that are living in cars and... Um, Incredible poverty. It's it, it blows me away and it's... Uh, I, yeah, I, I go, if you can create this, well, when you do create, or as you do create this way for people to step in and help, and it's simple. And like you say, with those big ones, they do. They tell you how to feed somebody for a dollar a day or whatever it is. Um, and there are some incredible organizations out there that do that. I've got a guy I'm going to introduce you to. He's on my podcast. His name's Paul Dunn. And... Um, He's been around Australia for a long time, Paul, and he is the chairman. He lives in Singapore now, but he's the chairman of a, um, it's not a charity. It's actually a business called Buy One, Give One. Yeah. And uh, it works off a premise of people giving a percentage of their profits, basically, you know, or um, wins in business uh, to through that conduit. And um, it goes to all sorts of different places around the world. And they, you know, monitor it by the number of meals they've created or the amount of fresh water they've done. But they're in the millions of giving. And he'd be a really yeah. great guy for you to be able to talk to. You know, you're, you're both business heads. You're both action takers. Um, I'd love to. Paul's a few years on you. Um, but done really, really well in life. Uh, and his, his whole life's about giving. It's all about creating that. Yeah, it takes people like that, mate. It's, oh, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm putting a note, but I'll I'll set you up. And anybody else who's listening, go and check it out for yourself. Um, you know, like, and you can listen to it on my podcast anyway. And no doubt, uh, I dare say he'll be on Andrew's podcast soon enough. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, you know, look, I've set him up to talk to other people before because. Uh, He's a clever guy um, when it comes to all, all manner of things. Um, I would love to have asked you that question, you know, what's the one last thing you're going to do with your life? But I think we know. I, know, I think we know that. Um, I think maybe I would love to ask a question that's a bit different, which would be if you saw a vision for um, Australia in the, in the housing space, in the next five years to 10 years, what do you think the landscape looks like? What What do you think it's going to throw up for people? Um, because it is an expensive time to build and it will, it will continue to be. Um, yeah, how do you see that landscape looking? I think we need to densify our... our um, we need to allow greater density within our, you know, major, major community so that there's not as much strain on infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a real infrastructure issue and I think that that infrastructure issue is creating affordability issues in growth corridors where land should be cheap but it's not now because development cost is so high and, and there is so much infrastructure upgrade and new infrastructure needed. 
I think we should be allowed to have far, far greater density within our, you know, our, our major city. But then I also understand the issue that Australia is no longer a country that manufactures. We've got natural resources and construction, and that's about all we've got. Um, and they're trying the best that they can to keep construction going by pumping out building grants to build houses out in the urban sprawl. Um, but I just don't think right now that that's necessarily fixing our affordability issue um, and it's certainly not fixing our commuter issue and it's definitely not fixing our infrastructure issues. So my uh, view needs to be that it needs to be it's a close, huge supply and demand issue. Yes. Um, we need greater, greater supply. We need greater government backing of bigger builders, um, corporately responsible bigger builders. There should be, you know, great, great, far greater monitored, but but helped by the government. Um, and and I think we need more social housing projects. And social housing, I don't, I just don't mean housing commission flats. No, I mean social housing projects where we're pumping, you know, we're pumping billions and billions and billions of dollars into infrastructure so that we continue to build four hours out past, you know. You know, four hours inward down to, I mean, as far as Warrnambool, one way, as far as Shepparton and, you know, let's put that money into social underwriting social housing grants and, and, and things where people can move in and, and come and live in our cities that are, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes from, from Melbourne. Bring some mm. employment opportunity back in and, mm. you know, a super hard question, though, because you're fixing one problem then and creating another but we're certainly we've certainly got a massive affordability issue. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, like problems do get fixed with balance. They take time. Yeah. They take they, they, they'll they'll always be out of swing. You know, the the anchor does this. It swings from side to side, uh, and yes, it, the centre is where we want to be, but we have to come off it to recognise we're off it, and we have to come back off it again on the other side. It's autopilot. You know, it's um the plane flying somewhere. It it waves. It, Weaves, of course, it doesn't fly a dead straight line. Um, I can say so another. Go, go, yeah. No, you go. No, no, no. I was going to say, mate, that I'll probably be shot by half the people that are going to come on my podcast if I say this. And I'm not saying tax rich, but another thing in the construction industry that seems crazy to me at the moment is all of our natural resources that we dig out of the ground here and sell overseas and then import everything back. Um, and we're making such, you know, massive, massive, massive money out of exporting these resources. Um, we should either pump them back into industry here in Australia to create manufacturing yep. jobs, or we should put a tax on them and put the tax back into things like social housing, our healthcare system, which has never been in a worse state than it is right mm. now, mm. education system, we're losing teachers at a greater knot than mm. we ever had before. Um, yeah, I you know, I think there's there's some ways we can fix the problem, but takes greater minds and mind to fix those problems. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if you start the conversation, the greater minds can come to it. That's that's the genius of starting the conversation. It it, it puts it in it puts it out there, and then it gives something for people to attach to. I love it, right. Andrew. I have had such a cool chat with you man i've got that many notes on my pad <laughs> i love a what you've done and where you're going i think it's brilliant um 
and the fact that you see the marketplace as being a, a, a big marketplace with a lot of issues in it and that it's not, you know, one fixed, one, one sort of like solution, that it's actually get it right for the people. And then once you get it right for the people, then other things can happen. But if you've got the people that aren't, if yeah. it's not right for them, then the whole thing's stressed and it falls apart and it just decays com community and humanity. So um, I think it's a, a fabulous conversation. Thank you for having me today, mate. I really appreciate it. Hey, I'll be in touch. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, buddy. Really appreciate it. Bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.